All right. Well, welcome to the podcast for anyone that is new. So uh, this is our first time going under this format. So you guys can just listen to the audio, but then we'll also likely have a chart deck for those who would like to see some of the charts that we might be referencing during the conversation. But um, you know, kicking off this week, today is February 22nd, 2024. Uh, we've got a few things. So NVIDIA just reported last night. We'll discuss that a little bit. And uh, that pertains to the MAG7 and just overall markets as they stand today. The other part that we'll get into is some of the fundamentals. So inflation and then end it with just, well, what do you do? Kind of on the financial planning side, there's always tax considerations, investment options, things that can be done. So we'll discuss some of that. But to kick things off, I've got Shane Fleury on here with me. Um, he is the co-podcaster with me. So with that, we can go ahead and get it started. So Shane, how you doing? Hey man, I'm good. I'm excited for the uh, the new chapter here of, uh, I don't know, is it still called the Elevate Market Chat? Is that what we're calling this thing? It is. We're sticking with it, I think. Sticking with the Elevate Market Chat. Although we will talk about things other than the market. Uh, we will not have, uh, we'll not be sharing screens and pointing and clicking on things. Um, so gearing a little bit more for the uh, the audio than the video. So if you're tuning in on uh, on YouTube, you know you might you might miss some of that. Um, but like Kyle said, well, if if we do reference something we think is worth seeing to believe, uh, we'll try and find a way to make that available. So we're learning as we go, and we would welcome any feedback y'all have. Uh, we certainly love questions uh, about stock market, you know, financial planning, um, anything like that. Um, what we had for breakfast, you know, shoot us shoot us a note. Uh, info at elevatecapitaladvisors.com, or you can go on our website, use the contact form. Uh, but send us questions, send us feedback, especially if you have like angry feedback or you disagree with us and think that we're stupid and don't understand something that that's our favorite kind of feedback uh we'd love to read some of those questions or uh criticisms uh on the next or an upcoming podcast so um please do do that uh we know people are hesitant to ask questions because it it sort of uh reveals that they don't know everything and man i'm telling you when we hire people at elevate you know what we're always looking for people who ask the best questions, not the people who give the best answers, because people who ask good questions are invaluable uh, to every business. Um, so we'd love to see what kind of questions our, our listeners, not our viewers, our listeners have. So send those our way, please. But yep. with that, let's, uh, let's get rolling. We're going to try and keep this to like 40 minutes uh, every month. And might have to edit that down because Kyle and I both like to talk a bit. <laughs> yep. So perfect. Well, you know, I thought we would kick it off with something we don't need to point people towards the slide deck for, but uh, the good book. So, yeah, I shared this with you guys here in Elevate, but it's just so reminiscent of kind of what we're going through, I feel like, is just Ecclesiastes 1.9. So what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, I mentioned NVIDIA, NVIDIA reported last night and seems to be carrying the entire market higher. And I keep hearing about AI. And Shane, what are what's your take on this one? Is AI going to save us and those market crashes of the past are just a thing of the past? 
market's never going to crash again because of AI. That's uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, I think um, certainly clients, readers of the market commentary kind of know where I stand on AI because I've written about it, you know, since I guess spring of last year when AI kind of saved the market from what was feeling like a, a certain recession where it just kind of pushed prices of certain stocks higher than they ever deserved to go based on any type of fundamental valuation. Um, and, you know, buying begets more buying in, in this passively driven um, stock market where, you know, people just kind of put money into their 401ks and IRAs. They do it on an automatic basis. They don't, they don't think about, you know, they assume that everybody else has done the work on valuation. And so they just, you know, without doing any of their own analysis or homework on what is a company worth and what price is it trading at versus its value, you know, is it overvalued or undervalued? Nobody cares. They're just, you know, I, I make my, my, my thousand dollar 401k contribution every two weeks and it's set to automatically go into these funds. The funds are, you know, chosen by some expert who knows things and the holdings of those funds are chosen by some other expert who knows things and nothing could really be further from the truth. Uh, it's mostly just based on, you know, the biggest stocks get the most money. Therefore, the smallest stocks get the least money without any consideration for valuation. And so the bigger, the big get bigger and the small gets smaller, which is why you see the divergence of mega cap tech stocks going so much higher while so many stocks in the the small stocks in the Russell 2000 just continue to, you know, not do anything or go down. I mean, they're still down quite a lot from their highs. So I think it's kind of a microcosm of everything that's, that's going on in our society. But, uh, but no, I mean, AI, you know, the Bible is 2000 year old wisdom and it's, it's, probably going to nail this one too the only question is what's the timeline look like when will when will people realize that you know ai is is not going to um i mean it, it's going to change the world it's already changed the world it has been changing the world since it came out in the 1950s right the mm -hmm. a, ai is older than the internet folks and the internet as we know changed the world Right, but pets pets.com still went to zero. Yeah, you know, and and Netscape, are, is anybody watching this on Netscape? Didn't think so. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned it in the past. The biggest tech stock in the Great Depression was RCA, and well, they're not even around. But you know, the big thing I look at, I'm not the best tech person to sit here and have a full on conversation about AI. But when I look at Nvidia, for example, I'm just trying to figure out, well, what's my risk reward here? And at what level would I know NVIDIA is broken? And I'm just sitting here staring at a chart and, you know, that 500 level we broke out of to start the year, if it went back below that, I feel like that's telling me, okay, something really changed. Well, today it's trading right now at $777. So I'm looking at almost 40% downside before I would have conviction that I'm wrong. So then if I'm buying it here, it's like, I need at least probably, gosh, you know, 40% higher move just to make my risk reward a one-to-one -one ratio. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you can buy this stuff up here. There's no, there's no, I, you're not an investor. If you buy NVIDIA here though, you're not investing. I mean, 
I was looking at it earlier today, and even even after the report, uh, which was good. I mean, er, you know, the revenue grew a bunch, the earnings grew a bunch, and uh, gosh, I I lost it now. It's no longer right in front of me, but I mean, it still trades at I think it was like seventy times earnings, seven zero. 70 so if they returned a hundred percent of their earnings to investors for the next 70 years that's how long it would take for you to get back what you're paying for the stock today 70 years that's, that's insanity yeah and on a price to sales basis i just got to look this up it was still <laughs> over 30 times sales so uh don't worry guys i'm not sharing my screen i'm not going to point at anything uh i'm just going to tell you what the number is so you're not missing anything but the um and i think shane just for everyone's understanding you know these metrics we discuss uh price to sales price to earnings if that earnings or sales number increases then the number comes down and the idea is the stock price can get ahead of itself and be forward looking. And then those ratios can catch up, but we are still talking about some pretty big numbers. Yeah. NVIDIA's price to sales is 31.4 right now, 31.4. And, you know, I, here, here, the, the, the classic quote is from, you know, the internet bubble, uh, the, the Sun Microsystems CEO, uh, this is a, it's a famous quote. If you go to Google and type in Sun Microsystems CEO quote, uh, this is what he said. It, it, the title of it is, what were you thinking? He says, at 10 times revenue to give you a 10-year payback. So this is 10 times sales, revenue sales. At 10 times revenue to give you a 10-year payback, you being an investor in the stock, I have to pay you a hundred percent of revenues for 10 straight years in dividends. That assumes I can get that by all my shareholders. That assumes I have zero cost of goods sold, which is very hard for a computer company. That assumes zero expenses, which is really hard with 39,000 employees. That assumes I pay no taxes, which is very hard. And that assumes you pay no taxes on your dividends, which is kind of illegal. <laughs> and that assumes with zero research and development costs for the next 10 years that I can maintain the current revenue run rate. Now, having done all of that, would any of you like to buy my stock at $64 a share? Do you realize how ridiculous those basic assumptions are? You don't need any transparency. You don't need any footnotes. What were you thinking? So that's what the Sun Microsystems CEO said, and they were trading at 10 times sales prior to uh, at the, I guess, at the, maybe not at the peak, but at some point during the internet bubble. And of course, Sun Microsystems doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I mean, just for comparison, NVIDIA trades at 30 times sales. So, you know, <laughs> at 30 times revenue to give you a 30 year payback all those same things are true. They got to give you a hundred percent of all the revenue for the next 31 years. Mm -hmm. It's impossible, right? Yeah, so you're not an investor. If you buy Nvidia today, you are a trader, you're trading it. Um, and my original point that I'm trying to make here is that's fine. Just know what you're doing. You know, you're yep. not investing at this level. You're not, you're not, you're not buying a value stock. You are making a trade. You're making a bet that 
somehow revenue can keep growing and growing and growing, you know, like a tree growing to the moon. And that somehow, you know, um, you're going to get out, you're going to, you're going to sell your shares at a higher level to a, a bigger fool before it crashes. Right. That's, which is a fine bet. It's, it's been going on in this stock for months. It's, there's nothing to say it can't go on further. Uh, Rosenblatt Securities raised its price target on NVIDIA to 1400 a share. And right now you can buy it uh, for, you know, seven, less than seven, less than 800, right? What is it right yeah, now? Like 777. Yeah. So you can, you know, if it goes to 400, you could still double your money on it from here. And of course it could go to 1400 bucks a share. I mean, there's no, what's the difference between 30 times sales and 60 times sales? It's both, they're both ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to trade it here, fine. But what is it that we always say? If you're going to buy it here, what do you need to know, Kyle? Where are you getting out? Where are you going to sell you getting it? Out? That's it. That's the and, most important thing. And that's important. So Shane, you mentioned like, investor versus trader. So when I was talking earlier about where my exit would be, that is more that long-term investor mentality. If I'm going to trade it, yeah, I mean, shoot, I could go all the way down to a minute chart, hourly, whatever, and I could buy and sell it today long and make money, or I could hold it for a week or two, month, you know, whatever it may be, but it's always important to make sure you have that exit. So yeah, if I were going to trade this thing today, which maybe I will, I don't, I can hate the stock and buy it to make. I'm, I'm here to make money. I don't care. I, I don't need to love it in order to make money. But if I'm just looking at the chart right now on an intraday chart, the volume weighted average price for today is 769.87. That would be my stop. I buy it here at 777. If it goes below 769.87 today, I'll sell it. So I'm only risking, you know, a few bucks, 10 bucks a share, right? Uh, to maybe see it go all the way up to fourteen hundred dollars. Hey, that's a good trade. It's a terrible investment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a good. It's not a good investment. There's no fundamental. There's no fundamental backing at all for buying Nvidia here. I don't care how much you think it's going to grow. Yeah. Um, and then Shane, what about so? You know, we've talked about Nvidia, and it's part of this group that just gets referenced so often. The Mag Seven or the Magnificent Seven. And, you know, we can talk about Tesla because that one kind of fell from that Magnificent 7 for now, at least. Um, but for these other ones, you know, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Meta, and, you know, and NVIDIA is part of that group. Oh, and, yeah, and Apple, I think I may have missed that one. Do investors need to be buying these? I mean, how do you think about that where it's like there's this rock star group that's reading or reaching trillion dollar market caps? Do you, do you uh, have to go buy those or... Like, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, do you have to, um, if you're, very, if you're super concerned about matching or beating the S and P 500 benchmark, you know, regardless of risk and all that kind of thing, if that's what you're focused on is measuring your performance versus the benchmark performance of the S and P 500, or even the NASDAQ, right. Which are all heavily, heavily concentrated in these stocks. You're going to have a hard time beating those benchmarks without owning, you know, most of these stocks in mm -hmm. very large proportions. Uh, it doesn't mean it's impossible. There's a lot of other things that are going up. Bitcoin's going up a lot, too. I mean, Bitcoin's up most more than some of these stocks uh, for the year. And there are other stocks that are doing great, too, like AMD, which instead of, again, it's not an investment, it's a trade. AMD trades at, uh, I don't know, last time I looked, it was like eight times sales eight times revenue versus NVIDIA's 30 times revenue. It's the same exact business, does the same thing. Uh, sells a cheaper product, 
you know, probably an inferior product too. Again, I'm I'm not the tech master. I I I know these things because I know some tech gurus, right? And I just just kind of regurgitate what they say because I trust them and they've proven themselves to be reliable over many years of of talking. But I mean, you can buy Novo Nordisk, which makes weight loss drugs. It's up twenty percent this year, and you know, hundreds of percent over the past year or so. Uh, same with Eli Lilly, which is now a bigger market cap than uh, Tesla. Berkshire Hathaway is a larger market cap than Tesla. Um, property and casualty insurance stocks are killing it this year. I mean, Travelers Insurance, boring stock, right? It sells insurance uh, up 15% year to date. W.R. Berkeley sells property and casualty insurance up 19.84% year to date. Uh, Apple's actually down year to date, down 5% for the year. So uh, a- Apple's revenue is starting to shrink. Uh, that's going to be a problem. So they either need to sell a whole bunch of these new Vision Pro headsets or get the services business going. I, I don't know. I mean, I we own a lot of Apple in our strategies. Um, I don't see a good reason to sell it yet, but I'm also not super excited about the upside. Yeah, um, It's kind of trading around some key technical levels right now. So seeing it bounce off of its 200 day moving average would be, you know, uh, a good thing for people who are, are buying it. So if you believe that Apple has some good growth ahead of it, here's a really good place to maybe go, go buy some. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I think Shane, like, you know, something that gets brought up often in a conversation like this is the law large numbers. So if you own these companies that have a trillion dollar market cap and you're betting on their actual business doubling, that do you really think it's possible or likely that a trillion dollar company is going to become a $2 trillion company? Or would you rather go get a company that's worth half a billion banking on them becoming a $5 billion company? You know, I think that's where, like, you're talking about these other ones, like, say, AMD, Novo Nordisk. Um, you know, there's plenty of others that are out there, but, you know, those certainly have a lot more upside, but you're just not really going to hear about them in the mainstream news or uh, financial pages where you might go Google. These are going to be more of just kind of the off-the-radar investments, right? Yeah, you know what else is interesting? I, I heard, uh, and I haven't dug into this myself, I, I take it to be accurate, um, but... It was that uh, Google's free cash flow for the quarter, last quarter, was higher than NVIDIA's sales. Wow. But but Google is less valuable than NVIDIA Mm -hmm. on a market cap basis. So it's just kind of crazy, like... Like the no, the numbers are so far out of whack. Like we're in we're in total bizarro world territory where you just can't make any sense of it. But dude, it just doesn't mean that it can't keep going up. And and you know, Nvidia might end up being the 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 first five trillion dollar company. You know, it, it might race ahead. If Apple's revenue is shrinking, and Nvidia's continues to grow by you know two hundred percent a year, it's not going to take long before it actually you know. It gets to five trillion dollars. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a crazy thing to think about. I don't think it deserves to be there on any fundamental basis, but it doesn't deserve to be where it is on any fundamental basis. So, <laughs> you know, that's nothing you can do about it. But that said, I mean, you can beat you can beat the market without owning Nvidia. You can beat the market without owning um, Meta Platforms, which is up a whole bunch uh, as well. So, I mean, these things are possible. Um, 
there are other stocks in the market that are doing well and make a whole lot more fundamental sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but but people just people get FOMO, you know, they just they do. They get they, they get the fear of missing out. They don't understand it. So they think they need to own this stock or that stock in order to keep up with the overall market. And of course, that's what CNBC will tell you. And even Bloomberg TV, you know, all these financial media will tell you. I mean, this is the stuff that gets people excited and gets the clicks. So, yeah, Google's free cash flow. Sorry, free cash flow. Uh, Google free cash flow exceeds NVIDIA total revenue, but NVIDIA has a market cap greater than Google's. That's, yeah, that's, that's something else. It doesn't it, make any sense. No. And I think it's important to hit on the idea, too, that, you know, sector rotation. So right now, tech is the top leader. Eventually, a lot of that money will then rotate out into, you know, healthcare, financials, industrials, whatever it might be. But there's kind of always this shift that takes place in a bull market. And if that's what we're in, then, you know, you could look at Caterpillar over in industrials or, you know, applied materials over in the materials sector. And maybe those are, you know, starting to catch the tailwind and go. Um, I caution people when it's like Tesla. Um that they were in the Magnificent Seven, but now they're pretty beaten down. So it's good in that they're at a place where you could get in lower and you could have a tight stop to get out. And if you're right, there's all that upside, but you have to ask, well, why is Tesla that was part of this group, why are they not participating? And that oftentimes means, you know, big picture, something just isn't there to kind of give them that growth. And you might start looking at that and say, yeah, it's beaten down, but you don't necessarily want to go buy that when it can't keep up during the good times. You know what else is interesting is uh, the number, what's the number one sector, the best performing sector so far uh, this year? This year, um, gosh, what was it? Was in, it energy? Year to date, year to energy, date, 2024. Yeah. Healthcare? Healthcare, yep. So healthcare is better than tech. So if you want to buy the XLV ETF, uh, if you bought the XLV ETF on on you know the the market open on New Year's first trading day of the year, you'd be up more than if you bought the tech ETF uh, XLK, which mm -hmm. of course has Nvidia and all the other AI stocks. But healthcare has Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly and all the weight loss drugs. Yep. And so. Uh, and biotech has just been killed uh, over the past several years. So biotech's been in a bit of a bear market and is finally starting to show some signs of life. So, I, you know, usually healthcare is the best performing sector during, um, you know, during during times of economic consternation, to say it one way, <laughs> right? It's not usually uh, the best performing sector when we're in a, a bull market that, you know, with no recession possibility. So yeah. that's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. So then with that, you know, I'd like to turn more to the fundamentals. Um, and one thing, just, I guess, a big number to have out there for people is that the S&P um, year to date is up about 6%. So that's kind of what what we're starting from, but you know, you've mentioned tech and healthcare. Some of these outperformers are definitely there. But um, when we look at the bigger picture now, you know, I, inflation's been the hot topic. And I go to the grocery store and I see it, but I see the stock market and it's like, well, does inflation matter? Because the stock market, it doesn't seem to care at all. It just keeps going higher unless that is just, you know, demonstrating that it's a great inflation hedge. Um, what are your thoughts there? And I know. You've got the latest kind of CPI prints. Maybe we can discuss that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, this, you know, CPI is interesting in that everybody keeps talking about how inflation is coming down. Uh, and I wrote about this a bit in my recent commentary where like lower inflation doesn't mean prices are going down and people often, you know, not just people, not just like average, you know, everyday people, but people like named Joe Biden don't under seem to understand that a lower rate of inflation just means still means prices are going up. They're just not going up as fast as they once were. And so inflation is a cumulative thing, kind of like weight gain is a cumulative thing where right. It's exponential I, growth, correct? You know, so yeah, if it was two percent yeah. last year and it's four percent today, then that's a one hundred percent inflation change. Yeah. And if I if I gained 10 pounds last year and I gained three pounds this year, I didn't lose any weight. It's 10, it's the three pounds this year added to the 10 pounds last year. And I'm still 13 pounds heavier, even though, you know, my weight gain came down. My weight gain came down is the same as it's saying inflation came down. You know, just, I gained less, uh, but I still gained and I'm still, I'm still heavier at the end of the day. <laughs> so uh, inflation is cumulative. So, you know, prices were going up by 9%. Now they're going up by 3% a little bit more than 3%. And if you look at, uh, you know, a chart of the year over year rate of CPI, you know, the, 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 the percentage by which prices increase, this is the most reported measure. Uh, if you, if you look at a chart of this, um, or even just like, look at the data, look at the numbers on a, on a, you know, on an Excel sheet or something, um, you'll see that the lowest inflation print, uh, reported was June of 2023, and it was at 3%. Well, it's February of 2024, and every single month since June of 23, the the rate of change in prices has been higher than 3%. Uh, most recently at 3.1. So not much higher, but it's not going, it hasn't gone, inflation hasn't printed a lower number on a year-over-year -year percentage change basis. Uh, since June. So everybody who's begging for the Fed to cut interest rates, you know, to prevent a recession from coming, uh, isn't paying attention to what they're paying attention to, which is that inflation has, has kind of stalled at 3% and their target is 2%. And of course, you know, they use different measures and some measures are higher and lower, but look, CPI, the headline CPI is the one that's most important to people in this country because we all spend money on food and we all spend money on gas or, you know, whether not, maybe not gasoline for your car, but you know, you got to heat your house somehow uh, and you use electricity for, to charge your iPhone, right? So you're paying energy costs, whether you're driving a car or not, you're buying food because, you know, if you weren't buying food, you wouldn't need so much of the Novo Nordisk uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, product. Um, so maybe maybe they're spending a little less on food thanks to Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk, but you're still buying food. You got to eat. Um, you got to have shelter, right? So looking at inflation, excluding food and energy and shelter doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but sometimes people look at that, and you know even even those measures have recently started to shoot higher. So the Fed's watching these numbers and saying we're not cutting rates anytime soon, guys. And the market just doesn't care, isn't listening. <laughs> You know, the market wants to rally, and so it rallies despite uh, economic reality, which we've seen it been due since, you know, October of 2022, basically, which is totally caught me off guard. And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. But nonetheless, 
market goes up, you better you better own stocks, uh, mm-hmm. or you're gonna get left behind. So that's that's the name of the game. And and like I said before, I mean it all comes back to knowing how you're gonna get out of stuff. So despite the fact that I've been bearish for you know a couple of years, it seems like uh, we can still beat the market on the upside in our stock portfolios because. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. You got to trade the market that you have, not the one that you want. It doesn't make any sense to sit here and not make money because you don't think that the there's a good fundamental economic basis for the market to rally. It just, you know, I can be both extremely bearish and extremely long stocks at the same time. I know a lot of people can't do that, and it's hard. It's like, hey, if you're so bearish, why do you own all these stocks? Well, because I like making money. You know, like that's that's what it boils down to. And I have an exit strategy on all of them. So when the when the economic realities do finally catch up to the market and they will, they always do. It's just a matter of time. Take a look at Tesla, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get out. We, yeah, you know, that's the whole point of having a trailing stop loss exit strategy is that we can ride things that make no sense to the moon. But the moment they stop going to the moon and change their trajectory, we're we're done. We're out. We're locking in our gains, and we're going to wait to hopefully buy at an even lower price. So mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out exactly that way, but more often than not, it, it's exactly how it works out. Yeah. So then, Shane, how do you think about that in terms of you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody and this person, maybe they're newer to the markets and they just want to start getting you know cash in? How would you talk to them? Because we're hearing, hey, market will crash. Um, we're at all-time highs. Why would I put my money to work? Um, how would you approach that? Uh, well, there's a couple of ways. I mean, first first way is to figure out, number one, most important thing uh, is what do you, what, what's, what, is your, what does your rate of return need to be on your investment portfolio in order to maintain your lifestyle in retirement when you don't want to go to work anymore? when you want your investments to take care of you. What's that rate of return need to be? Um, you know, is it is it 3%? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? How much do you really need to make? And forget about the S&P 500 index, you know? If the S&P 500 is up 10%, does that have anything to do with what you need to make personally in order to live happily ever after? It shouldn't. You know, if your sole focus is, well, gosh, I need to be better, th- I need to get the same return as the market, or better than the market. Well, then you better be willing to lose more than the market or lose as much as the market when stock market's going down. And most people aren't. Most people would say, hey, as long as I make enough to live happily ever after, I could care less with the with the S&P 500 or NVIDIA, you know, how much it goes up. I, I just don't really care. And that's the right way to think about it, I think. And so, you know, if you're, if, if you do the, the math and you figure out, do the projections, you know, how much do you really need to earn in order to live happily ever after? Many people um, are at 5% or less. You know, again, depending on, you know, if inflation's 10%, then you're going to have to earn you know more than five. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of different factors that go into this, right? But the point is, is you don't just step up to the plate and swing for home runs all the time. Sometimes all you need is a, a single or a double to get a runner home, to use a baseball analogy. And if that's the case, You'd be you'd be an idiot to be swinging for the fences every time, right? Right. So th- I think that's the the key, the most important thing. Many of our clients, um, and prospects for that matter, you know, they've already done a good job saving, and they're already on track for retirement. And if they just earn four or five percent 
for the rest of their life, they'll live happily ever after and never run out of money. Uh, and I'm here to tell you the risk-free rate today is 5.3%. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that's what I, that's what I would do if I were those people, even if I was not in the market right now, I would say, Hey, you don't need to be in the market to live happily ever after. So what's the point, you know, just buy some treasuries and go, go sip martinis on the beach and relax. That's yeah. What I, that's what I would say to those people. And, you know, something I've been thinking about in reference to that is if you'll remember from your CFA curriculum is the capital asset pricing model. So what is that? That essentially in layman's terms is what does the return of whatever investment you are getting into? So let's say the stock market less the risk-free rate. So how much are you earning above the risk-free rate and then factor in risk. So if you're taking a lot of risk, well, you should be compensated for not taking that risk-free rate. But that's the question. You know, if you got an investor and they're like, I don't like risk. Um, I just want to get 5%. Well, those treasuries are paying 5%. So why would you do anything else? And there yep. is a point where equities, they're not going to return that much more than what fixed income might be offering. And that's where the you know, stock market can kind of stall is because if I'm sitting here and I'm saving for my family and my future... I don't need to earn 10% or I'm not going to go take risk to earn 10% if I can earn marginally less in a risk-free asset. It just doesn't yep. make a whole lot of sense. Right. So yep. yeah, I think that's important. You know, it's, you can be an indexer that's sitting there and, oh, I just really want to beat whatever the index is. Or you can just say, you know, like travelers, um, that's a stock you talk about a lot. It's not exciting, but if that happened to be a boring stock that has not gotten stretched on valuation and offers a decent return, those are the kinds of things you want to be putting in a portfolio is yeah. just planning for retirement. Don't make it so you wake up one day and, Oh, well I, I was good, but now I don't have anything. Yeah. Well, and to be clear, travelers has gone on a massive run here recently. Uh, it's we've owned it for longer than we've owned any other stock. Travelers and WR Berkeley are longest held positions in any portfolio, any strategy that we manage at, uh, at, at Elevate. And, um, you know, since we launched the company, basically, we've been in these things and the annualized returns on these stocks, um, travelers annualized return since we entered it is 12 and a half percent a year. <laughs> and good. WR, WR Berkeley's annualized return is 21% per year. Uh, they're both trading at relative highs right now. So I wouldn't, I, I'm not, I'm not putting, you know, dumping boatloads of money into them. They've both, they've both dropped by, you know, 40% or more uh, since we've held them too. But those are, those are the two, you know, property and casualty insurance stocks. We don't use a stop loss for, we just, we, we don't put too much money in them. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. We size them correctly and we just hold them forever as long as they can underwrite profitably. So yeah, finding stocks like that is great. Um, and, and just holding them for the long run, you know, that's, that's definitely my favorite way to, to go about things, but you, you do get like people get FOMO. I mean, human beings, are, it's, it's all behavioral at this point, right? Like there's no, there's no math behind it. There's no math behind NVIDIA's valuation. Anybody who cared about the, the fundamental value would not buy it here yet. We see people constantly buying it. So human beings are nothing if not emotional. Right. And so you got to take that into account. And if, if you are one of those kinds of people who, you know, you're going to go to um, a cocktail party 
or whatever kind of party and you know the the guys you know some guy you haven't seen in six months is going to be talking about how much money he made on nvidia of course not telling you anything about how much money he lost in the last bear market of 2022 and that he probably still hasn't broken even from that but besides the point he's going to tell you about his big winner right he made hundred thousand dollars on his his stock in nvidia never mind that he lost two million dollars in his portfolio you know so he's, he's nowhere back he's nowhere near where he used to be but he's going to tell you about that big winner and if you don't own enough nvidia in your in your portfolio you're going to feel like you're you've missed you oh you missed out on a hundred hundred grand you know and uh if, if that's going to drive you to um you know potentially make a bad decision then what I would say is, is you better buy some NVIDIA because look, it's, it's overvalued because it keeps going up. It wouldn't be a bubble if stuff didn't keep going up. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're, if you're, if that's a big deal, you know, if you're an emotional person who is going to, is going to let that impact their investment decisions, which there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It just is what it is. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just a thing. Right. And if that is how you are as an investor and as a person, then you better buy some NVIDIA because that's going to keep happening until it stops happening. Like NVIDIA can't, it's, it makes no sense why it trades at almost $800 a share right now. There's no reason that it can't go to 1500. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it can, these things can get more and more and more and more overvalued. Just like on the other side, they can go down way further than makes any rational sense mm -hmm. which is why sometimes you get the opportunity to buy stocks at an amazing bargain because they go the other way too yeah. so look nvidia might go up for the next two years and it might not stop going up until it hits two thousand dollars and if that's if that's a big deal to you as a person then you buy it here and you just you you know that eventually the party is going to be over the music's going to stop and not everybody's going to have a seat so you you put your stop loss at a point where you say look I, you know, I'm not willing to not buy this. I'm not willing to be out. I'm, I, I'm more concerned about the risk of not making money than I am about the risk of losing a little bit. And so you say, hey, look, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put a hundred thousand dollars into NVIDIA and I'm willing to lose 10 grand because I think it could double again from here. Well, then you put a 10% trailing stop loss or even a 10% hard stop loss on it and you buy it and you just say, look, if it goes down, I'm going to lose 10 grand. But if this thing doubles, I'm going to make a hundred grand. Yeah. And, and that's how you do it. Right. And that's how everybody needs. I don't care who you are. That is how you do this stuff. And that's how you buy into a bull market that is at all time highs and makes no fundamental sense. There is absolutely a way to do it, but it's a trade, not an investment. And you got to know how you're getting out. Yep. And then Shane, you know, we talk on that a lot, you know, the performance and getting returns, but then when it comes to planning, you know, the taxes, that's a big part too. Um, one thing I just want to discuss here is that if you have a taxable portfolio and you earn a great return, and today the top marginal tax rates, you know, 37%, what if it goes up? Like, how do you plan for that? And I think people neglect that a lot and they don't consider it, you know, this always gets people, but in 1944, the top marginal tax rate was 94 percent i mean people cannot they, that breaks that breaks so many people's brains yeah it's just confiscation but it's yeah. you know so when you're looking you're going gosh what can i do right now it might not be a returns answer that you need 
it might be a tax answer that you need. And, you know, how do you do that? You've got, you know, Roth IRA, you can use life insurance. That's a tool that you can use for that. But if you don't plan ahead for that and tax rates go up, and this all ties back to something you brought up so often is, what are we at now? I think 34, maybe we did finally hit $35 trillion in debt. Not quite yet. We're working on it though. A million dollars a minute, I think, or something like that. Yeah. So if you're asking a question, well, how are they going to pay that debt back? There's only two ways. And it's either increasing taxes or printing money. And I'd be surprised if raising taxes wasn't part of that solution. And if you're planning for that, now it's time to start looking, well, how do you build that tax-free bucket that is not going to be subject to those higher tax rates that might come? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know we probably need to wrap it up here, so we might not get to a a few of the other questions we have, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's very important what you, what you make versus what you keep. Um, I personally don't focus a whole lot on taxes because, I just, I got a tax guy. His job is to make sure I pay the least amount possible. And my job is to make as much money as I can to live the lifestyle I want on the other side. So I I try not to let uh, the tax tail wag the investment dog, so to speak, um, when it comes to my trading. I just, you know, if I take a short-term gain, I take a short-term gain. Um, And I know that, you know, a certain amount, a healthy chunk of that is going to the IRS. so I try not to let that influence too much, but I, you do have to factor in, you know, when it comes to planning, how much are you going to pay in taxes? How much do you need to to contribute to your bankrupt Uncle Sam, you know, um, because you don't get to keep it all, especially when it's in a taxable account. Um, if it's in a or in a in a, you know, a 401k, you got to pay the you got to pay the toll on the way out. Right. So Roth IRAs are the, your 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 favorite asset for sure. Although there's no guarantee that they couldn't screw with the taxation of Roth IRAs somewhere down the road too, right? Like a right. a bankrupt government that can't pay its bills will stop at nothing to to do so. I do think most of it will come from printing, uh, which is a, an invisible tax that disproportionately affects the poorest people in our country, right? Uh, d- Jeff Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk do not care that a box of cereal has doubled in price. Like they're just you know, not going to change how many boxes of cereal they can afford. Um, the single mom down the road who's on food stamps, she notices, you know, she notices very quickly. And, uh, and so that's the, that is the, just the horror of, of the money printing game. Um, and, and it, it hurts the most, you know, the, the smallest people. And so I, I, I really hate that that's probably how it will be solved. But I think it just breaks people's categories when you tell them that the highest rate used to be 94%. Like, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people will even believe you, but I'm telling you what, listeners, go check it out. Go go type into Google. What is the highest, you know, tax rate uh, in the United States in history? It'll blow your mind to think that people, you know, who were alive then and probably paying 20% for a, a, ho- a home mortgage were also subject to you know over 90 percent of their income being taxed above a certain level it is pretty amazing to think at how much worse certain things used to be and even though they've gotten pretty bad you know over the past several years here they're nowhere near uh at their worst levels so now the, the money printing drives stock prices higher but it just kills people man i mean the rich get richer the poor get poorer uh the society tends to 
drift further apart where you know the the, the loudest most obnoxious uh sides you know the the left and the right just get further and the middle gets excluded that happens on the income scale it happens on the social scale it happens on the political scale and then usually you know it's a major cataclysmic event like a 9-11 unfortunately or a, a great financial crisis or you know some other thing to bring everybody back together where we all have the same common enemy and i think our our same common enemy should be you know the the political class in general <laughs> and uh and inflation because they're just so sinister you know i i always say people who want to be a politician people who some anybody who wants to be the president of the united states I think that should disqualify them from getting the job. Like it should be a service that somebody doesn't want to do, but is willing to do and would be good at it. But if, mm -hmm. if all you want is to control people and have power, that should disqualify you from the job period. Yeah. Yep. And unfortunately I think it was in Alan Greenspan's book, he talked about that, that usually the person getting the job as president uh, is not doing it for the right reasons. And it's yeah. just how it goes. But um. Shane, I know our time's gone a little bit long and you did have a question on social security. I'm wondering, do you want to save that for our next episode? You know, I don't really have, uh, yeah, I don't think we have enough time to do it justice. So we'll, we'll save it, uh, as to, uh, that question, uh, we'll keep it on the table, but again, we would love to have some questions from you all. So if we said something today that, uh, really grinds your gears, you don't agree with, you think we're wrong or, uh, whether it's politics or markets or whatever, uh send, send us the feedback uh if we said something that you know just made you wonder or brought up a begged another question in your mind about well if that's true then what about this or what about that or man we'd love to we, we're not going to give any personal financial advice and we're not going to necessarily disclose who's asking questions so it can all be anonymous um and and like i said we definitely won't be giving any um individual financial advice uh over the podcast uh, but we do love to to get feedback and see your questions. It, it drives our content and and helps us be be better um, at at creating content that that you want to hear. So uh, please do send that to us. Info at elevatecapitaladvisors.com. Sorry for the the long address, but uh, that's what it is. And I'm sure Kyle will put a link somewhere in the notes. Um, so that's easy for you to get to. And uh, I don't know if we have a reason to put a like a slide deck or any slides, you know, to access for you. But if, if we, if there is, uh, we'll let you know. And I'm sure there'll be a link to that too. Sounds good. Well, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, we do have a question we'll hit on next time, but just, you know, looking at some alternatives to social security and how you can plan for either replacing that income or, you know, maybe even enhancing it a little bit. So, well, yeah. How about that? Just as a teaser for the next one, did you know, Kyle, that there are some people who don't have to participate in the social security program at all? They don't have to participate in the Ponzi scheme if they don't want to, they can choose not to pay the taxes and not to get the income. And that's a choice they have to make when they're pretty young. So, um, there are, there are those people out there, and uh, we got a question from one of them, and we're going to address that question in an upcoming show. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, Shane, thanks again for your time, and I'll see you in a month. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you.